The left is all up in arms over the breakthrough film, The Sound of Freedom, which isn't at all surprising given it's about exposing child exploitation and freedom, two things they aren't super into. The show starts now. Ladies and gentlemen, the liberals are triggered again, this time over the box office success of the faith-based thriller The Sound of Freedom. Not only is the film faith-based, not only does it shine a light on child trafficking and exploitation, but it also defeated Indiana Jones at the box office over the 4th of July, bringing in $14 million on opening day compared to Dial of Destiny's $11.7 million. But as great as box office numbers are, this film isn't about the bucks, it's about the message and the mission. The liberals, they really hate that and are reacting to the film the same way they do bans on gay sex books and children's libraries, which is gross but completely on brand. But they can't come right out and say that, that they prefer to coddle and shield the pedophiles and child exploiters, the same people who run Hollywood and, well, their ideological cult. So instead, they've gone this route, labeling the film a QAnon thriller. Yes. These creeps really think they've managed to find a way to convince folks that child trafficking is simply a conspiracy theory. And The Sound of Freedom does focus on a real issue of sex trafficking. Uh, but that theme, it, it's sort of like that kernel of truth that feeds the QAnon conspiracy theory. In terms of child trafficking, we know trafficking is real. We know it has real victims. No one is denying that. But these films are created out of moral panics. They're created out of bogus statistics. They're created out of fear. And with something like Sound of Freedom, it specifically is looking at QAnon concepts of these child trafficking rings that are run by the high-level elites and only people like Tim Ballard and only people like Jim Caviezel and, by extension, only people like the ticket buyer can help bring these trafficking rings down. So there's a very participatory element. You're not just going to see a movie, you're just killing two hours on a hot day. You are helping bring down these, these pedophile rings and save children. Now, it's not true, but it's a very comforting and it's a very warm feeling to have. <sighs> the Sound of Freedom is based on the work of Tim Ballard and his child rescue nonprofit Operation Underground Railroad, which has been saving children from sex trafficking, a very real thing, since way before this whole QAnon thing ever came about. Folks, these leftist hacks are attacking a film about child and sex trafficking and exploitation and urging you not to see it. Are you surprised? This is right on brand. This is who they are. They are maligning this film and protecting pedophiles, groomers, and evil people the same way they've covered for Epstein and his client list. When people tell you who they are, believe them. Joining me now with his reaction is host of the David Harris Jr. Show and author of A Town Worth Defending, David Harris Jr. David, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me on, Tommy. Great to be here. So let's get right into this. I mean, I know you heard that clip that I just played. The mainstream media, Rolling Stone, of course, the folks, and of course, the hack media, they are coming after this film full force, uh, trying to convince us that if you are to go see this, you are participating in a giant conspiracy theory, and you shouldn't see it because then you're just feeding into QAnon. What's your reaction? Well, my reaction was was pretty uh, outrageous. I actually posted a video that was about 20, almost 20 minutes uh, on the whole thing, on the sound of freedom, but definitely talking about uh, the Washington Post, the Guardian, Rolling Stone magazine, uh, CNN for having that that jack nut on there. I'd like to, I'd like somebody uh, from Tim Ballard's uh, nonprofit or or any of these other amazing 
nonprofits that hunt pedophiles, I think they should do a search of that guy's hard drive. Because in my opinion, anybody that is standing up uh, in such a way to try to dissuade people to watch the movie, The Sound of Freedom, they are either complicit themselves in the same type of stuff uh, or or they are just covering for them. And either one of those two are just as dastardly. They're just as evil. Uh, as you said, the movie is based on fact. And I've got friends. I, I interviewed Victor Marks. He's All Things Possible Ministries. He's been doing the same stuff as Tim Ballard for 20 years. Yako Bullion, somebody else that's been doing the same stuff for 20 years and helping to write legislation uh, to try to to try to fix how the victims are treated in this and go after the perpetrators and the actual traffickers with much more of a harsher sentence uh, than they currently do in a lot of states. Uh, this is very real stuff. And the networks for this are, are nationwide and global. And so for, for God bless Jim Caviezel and the team, Eduardo, the producers, God bless these people for being willing to put this out there. And, and God bless Mel Gibson, and Tony Robbins, I don't know how many know this, but they actually had to buy the movie back from Disney because when Disney bought Fox, they owned the rights to the movie and they shelved it. They weren't going to do anything with it. So Tony and Mel bought the movie back and said, we just need to get this out there. So that when you've got a company like Disney, who is 100% after our children, they're, they're, they're after the innocence of our children, they want to pervert it, and then they want to shelf this movie. Uh, to, to me, what took place this last, you know, with uh, the, the the opening weekend with the uh, the supposed to be box office Disney smash Indiana Jones uh, not doing as well as The Sound of Freedom. It, it tells me that the Americans are tired of just being entertained, especially by woke companies that hate us and are trying to pervert our children. So for CNN and any of those other outlets that are trying to uh, placate and uh, and get people to dis to, to not watch it there's there's something there there's they're complicit in my book right and hopefully the american people are seeing that i mean i think they're telling us exactly who they are but it's very odd to me Absolutely. because when you look at over the last several years right the right has owned patriotism the star-spangled banner the american flag now we're owning feminism and the integrity of women's sports and i guess also ending the exploitation and trafficking of children i guess that's another notch on our belt on our agenda because the left doesn't want anything to do with those aforementioned things now it wasn't that long ago that we as a nation put our ideological and political differences aside and we stood up for our country we stood up for women we stood up for children Children. But now the game board has completely changed. And as you mentioned, the fact that they're going out of their way to malign this movie is really telling. And the fact that they're trying to label it some kind of a conspiracy theory, the same way they've done everything about Epstein and the client list and the island, to me it says there's a whole lot of people here who were in the know, they know what's going on, and they quite frankly don't care because they're either a part of it or they know someone really important who is a part of it, and they want it all to go away. How successful do you think that they are going to be at making yet another story like this go away? They're not going to be successful. We the people have had enough. Uh, we the people are tired of being lied to. 
Uh, It's like Jim Caviezel said, the mainstream media, they told us the Hunter Biden laptop was fake for two, two and a half years. They said it's fake. It's Russian disinformation. And we, the people, you know, that watch a lot of I don't watch that propaganda, but a lot of people still believe it's truth. They're watching the news. They're believing it. And then, well, what do you know? No, it actually was 100 percent true. And it actually was kept from us by people in the, the agencies that are supposed to be truthful and honest. Uh, they were all bent and pushing one agenda, the Democrat agenda. Uh, same thing with Russia, with Trump being a Russian asset. Oh, we're, we're supposed to believe that, you know, he's impeached all these times. He's working with Russia. It comes out. It's false. So we, the people, have had enough. We're waking up. And now when these agencies, these networks try to get us to say, don't watch this, don't pay attention to this. I think in most Americans' minds and hearts that understand what's at stake here, the future of our republic and the future for our children, grandchildren and great grandchildren, uh, it's at stake. We need to do what we can right now to shift this nation back in the direction of integrity, morality and God. And that's absolutely everybody should be standing up for children. And if you're not doing that, then there's something wrong with you. But I think the majority of the American people are waking up to the fact that that's what needs to be done, and they're doing it. And I think this movie is going to continue. It's it's just started the ripple effect that is going to continue, I think, for years to come, because we must eradicate sexual trafficking. We must. I think it's going to be a big issue in 2024 as well. I think it's a sleeper issue that the Democrats aren't ready for, kind of like what happened with Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. I mean, that race really was won on parental rights. So I think that 2024 is going to be heavy into the so-called culture war, but more importantly, parental rights and protecting children. I know that you're really firmly in the Trump 2024 camp, but I want to get your take because over the weekend we have a lot of news about Casey DeSantis and her Mamas for DeSantis, the ad that they put out really targeting American people to understand and wake them up about the dangers of grooming of children. I'm sure you've seen the ad. What do you think about that approach? And does it impress you coming from the DeSantis side? You know, I, while I appreciate what, what DeSantis is is trying to do, uh, I, I, what I don't appreciate is uh, there's several things that I don't appreciate. I, I don't appreciate the fact that he didn't give President Donald Trump the credit that he deserved. Uh, Trump was the reason that he became governor. Uh, he he did in the beginning. DeSantis came out and acknowledged the fact that he wouldn't have won. He was tanking in the polls. Trump came out and saved his butt. Uh, what we need in this country right now, especially on the conservative side, the Republican side, is we need unity. And I believe that uh, instead of DeSantis, I think listening to his donor base and thinking that he actually has a shot to win in 2024, uh, instead of him listening to that, and I think choosing a selfish uh, ambition, a personal ambition, what he what would have been the right thing for him to do would get behind President Donald Trump, support President Donald Trump in getting back in there and what I believe is finishing his his uh, his final four years, which he should have been in it right now, in my opinion. Uh, it was taken from him. I think he should have did that. So whatever he does at this stage of the game, Tommy, is just too little, way too late. He doesn't have a shot. Um, <laughs> President Donald Trump is the best candidate and the best choice for president for 2024. And, uh, you know, he, he could have maybe been a VP pick. And then after four years of Trump, he could have came out and said, hey, here's my time to shine. But so he I didn't to, do that. So and I, I think to... he's listening to his donors a little bit too soon. So I have to push back on you in a couple of points there, because everything that you just said about Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and Ron DeSantis being selfish, I kind of feel about President Trump as well, because after 2020, I wish that he would have kind of 
hung it up and said, hey, listen, I had my chance. Now I'm going to put my full power ahead of some of these other great Republicans, knowing that the media has come after me so many times, knowing that they're going to continue to come after me. So I'm going to use my position as kingmaker to go out there and get a lot of Republicans elected. So I don't buy into this whole wait your turn, be loyal thing. Yes, Donald Trump has a lot to do with Ron DeSantis and his success, especially the first time he was elected as governor. There is no doubt in my mind. I do believe that Ron DeSantis is a Trump supporter through and through and has been. But the whole wait your turn thing, that thing to me, it's like, this is America. You can run when you can run. Nobody has to wait their turn. This isn't a monarchy. But I do agree with your point that we need to come together as a Republican Party. We need to be unified and we need to make sure we have a strong front against the Democrats. So we could talk about this and probably battle back and forth all day. But because of time, I want to get to your book because it's such an important concept, a children's book, a town worth defending. David, tell me about this book and why you wrote it. Well, I wanted to write a book uh, that was going to, I, I believe, foster and encourage uh, the values that we as as conservatives and as Christians want to see in our kids. Too many adults, too many parents uh, are seeing their kids that are part of Antifa, that are that are rioting on college campuses, that are wearing face masks, that are that are championing these anti-American values. Uh, and when it's when it's when it's that point in time in their life, when they've reached that uh, that place in their life. In their mind, you're not going to reach them right now. We've got to we've got to encourage our kids, the next generation, at a younger age. That's why the schools are trying to go after our kids in school. So uh, the book, A Town Worth Defending, partnered with Brave Books to get this out. It's for kids four to 10, 12 years old. Uh, it's uh, it's about Rowdy, the, the raccoon that is trying to just save his town. And there's a posse of possums that are taking out all these other towns. Uh, and Rowdy is is uh, it seems like it's an insurmountable thing that he's going to be able to accomplish. Looks like the town's going to get taken over, but it creates the opportunity for them to foster uh, the, the courage and overcome their fears and appreciate what's made their town so special. And hey, the United States of America is our town and our kids need to have the opportunity, I believe, uh, with their parents or grandparents. Like I'm a grandparent now, if you can believe that. I've got two little grandbabies. So it's a whole other level now when we're talking about kids and what they're learning uh, to, to have the opportunity to read a book with your child or grandchild that's going to foster and encourage faith and uh, and commitment and loyalty and honor and respect of our country and give the parent the opportunity to share what it is about their our, our country that they appreciate so much. You just you just can't. Uh, that's priceless. Those moments are priceless. So there's exercises in the book for parents or grandparents to go over with their kids. Uh, and I absolutely believe that when our children have a steady, have a steady digest, a, a diet of this, if you will, you know, the, the book is free this month. If you, if you, uh, register for uh, sign up for the freedom Island book club, which means that your kid is going to get a book, uh, that'll follow them through the years, but they'll get a new book every single month. And that's, that's what we need. We need that continual curriculum, building up our kids to be, uh, to be the kids that we'll be proud of when they're older not be the Antifa kids, not be the kids that unfortunately, I think too many parents, including conservative parents, we just let the, the public school system raise our kids and weren't paying attention. That's got to stop. We've got to know what they're learning, what's in their homework, and we got to make sure that then we are also adding uh, the type of materials, books into their curriculum um, that we know are going to foster those those values of faith and, and freedom and, and justice. Well, I got to tell you, so I would love to see- about. 
I'd love to see your book on summer reading lists as opposed to what the teachers unions are pushing, which is gender queer. So we've got a big battle ahead of us, but people like you are making it a little easier for parents to have those resources. Congratulations on the book. Thank you so much for being with me and God bless you. Thank you so much, Tommy. Really appreciate it. And uh, you keep doing what you're doing. You're a, you're a, you're a powerful voice. Um, we need your voice. And the only thing I was going to say on the Trump DeSantis thing is, Tommy, you're a fighter. And if you're if you if you were president, which which could be in the cards for you, if you became president, I know the fighter that you are. If if it was taken from you the second time around, I don't think you'd back up. I don't think you'd say I'm gonna hang it up and let somebody else go. I think you'd keep fighting. But that's just me. Well, listen, I will what do what do. was best for the country and getting a Republican and America first Republican in that White House. That's what we all want. And hey, listen. Donald yeah. Trump's our nominee and he wins in 2024. You know that I'm going to be happy as a clam because I wish he's my president now. God bless you. We'll continue this conversation. I'm sure many times you're welcome back to have it. Sounds great, Tommy. Thank you. All right. Still to come this week, Seattle will host the MLB All-Star festivities and the city is really hoping fans won't notice the filth, the needles, the tents, the feces and the homeless. Good luck with that. I've got podcast host and Seattle resident Brandy Cruz in the bullpen ready to sound off. The highly anticipated fan favorite MLB All-Star Game and festivities will call Seattle home this week, which means the homeless, well, they've got to find somewhere else to pitch their tents, do their drugs, and live out their freelance lifestyles, well, for this week only. But for weeks now, the city of Seattle has been trying to get its act together so as not to alarm baseball fans with the sheer filth that comes along with being in a Democrat-run hellscape of a city. A group called Together Washington, along with the Seattle Metro Chamber and the Mariner, set up a community cleanup day to make a dent in the filth. But was it enough? And what about the homeless population? From the looks of it, they are pretty pissed this All-Star Week is infringing on the free-for-all encampment extravaganza they're used to living in. Oh, Joining me now to break it down and more is host of Undivided, Brandy Cruz. Brandy, it's great to have you all the way from Seattle. Thanks for having me. So you caught my eye a few weeks ago because I know that you were making some commentary about Seattle trying to prepare for this all-star week. Um, What are are you seeing now that it's right upon us? Well, look, I think you hit it on the head with the fact that this is just sort of a temporary fix to a problem that has been plaguing Seattle where they come in and they're sweeping homeless encampments in the area around the stadium. Uh, You mentioned the community cleanup, which I joined, by the way, because I've been so critical of Seattle. I said, okay, I'll go down there and pick up some trash, but it's a little ridiculous that community groups have to volunteer when we are taxed hundreds of millions of dollars to help clean up these areas. I mean, it was literally volunteers doing stuff that tax money should pay for. So I think there have been some efforts in the days leading up to the All-Star Game to make the area appear nice, a little lipstick on a pig, if you will. But that doesn't change the underlying problems. Tommy, just this weekend, we had three shootings in the span of just a few hours. Two of them um, were in the area south of where the stadium is, and they were deadly. Uh, And so you still have these underlying issues that make Seattle a pretty precarious situation uh, for a game like this. That's what I'm concerned about as well, is that there are a lot of unsuspecting baseball fans that might not have ever been to Seattle or the Pacific Northwest. They might not know what they're getting when they go to a place like that or Portland, for example, and they're coming into town probably with their families, with their children, because the All-Star Game, of course, brings in a lot of families. And 
not only are they going to probably see homelessness and crime, but there's also feces, there's also drugs, drug use, needles laying around. How much has the city done to clean up the needles from just being on the street corners? Because even if they move the homeless out, I can't imagine that they've been able to completely resurrect that city in this span of time. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that's very telling is the city, uh, the Mariners and the business community, they created walking paths where there's literally stickers on the sidewalk that say walk this way from Pike Place Market and the area with all the hotels and that directs them away from the open air drug markets uh, and towards the stadium. And uh, those walking paths, it will not come as a surprise, do not go on Third Avenue, which is really the most, I think, dangerous um, and uh, unseemly stretch of downtown. And so Rather than say, okay, what can we do? We know, you know, we've known the All Star Game was coming to Seattle for some time. What can we do to actually improve safety in the city and the appearance of the city ahead of this game? They said, hey, let's create walking paths so that people don't have to look at it. But of course, you can't, you can't, you know, one of the challenges here, Tommy, is that the areas that are worst in the city when it comes to open air drug use, when it comes to some of the kind of filth that you've described, when it comes to crime, it is the tourist areas. It is the areas where families would previously want to go, you know, buy Pike Place Market, for instance, um, the shopping centers, for instance. And so you can't just hide it. It's not in an area of the city where you can easily hide the homelessness and the substance abuse. It's in what used to be the most vibrant areas of the city. And so they've tried to come in there and clean it up and increase a police presence, but they have not been able to do it to the extent that I think they probably would have wanted to. And I showed that flyer earlier, the homeless people being very angry that they are essentially being moved out and, and they're being secluded into smaller areas to get out of the way, moving their vans and their tents and whatnot to make room for the all-star festivities. So do you expect the homeless, do you expect there to be any kind of a, an uprising or what are they going to do? I mean, they're being pushed out. I imagine they're going to be allowed to be pushed right back in after this week. But what is the reaction going to be from that population? I imagine there's a lot of people in it that are very upset and have probably nothing to lose. Yeah, I mean, the flyer is ridiculous because it's not the homeless individuals, by the way, Tommy. That is not some homeless people living in an RV who put together that flyer and printed it off and handed it out. <laughs> Those are activists. Those are stop the sweeps activists who, for some reason, think it's compassion to keep people living in uh, filth and squalor and in the depths of their drug addiction. Uh, and they think it's evil for the city to move them away. Uh, so whether, you know, they're trying to coordinate this effort where, so the game is Tuesday, right? We're at midnight tonight. They're trying to coordinate an effort where they get people with derelict RVs to fill up the tailgate areas and to come in there. So it ruins everybody's uh, baseball experience. Homeless people are not going to actually participate in that. People who are actually homeless, drug addicted, living on the streets, sleeping in derelict RVs, they're not going to participate in that. that. Those are activists who want to push a political agenda and they want to use homeless people to push that political agenda. Now, as far as how I will note with the sweeps that have been happening around the stadium, the mayor's office had the audacity on Friday, they had a press conference, to claim that those sweeps are not related to the All-Star game. Oh, no, those are just sweeps that are a regular course of events, the ones right by the stadium. No, those aren't to clean up the area just to make it look pristine for the All-Star game, which is, of course, ridiculous. But, um, you know, what? one of the things that happened is after those sweeps occurred in the area around the stadium, private businesses came in and dropped these, paid to drop these massive concrete blocks 
right in the areas where the homeless encampments used to be because they're tired of it. And they don't want them to just come back as soon as the All-Star game is done, which probably is what would have happened. So at least for now, as long as the city allows those concrete blocks to stay mm-hmm. in those areas, uh, then I don't think the homeless camps will come back there, but they're going to find another place to pop back up if they haven't already. Right. Well, I lived in Los Angeles for several years, and before that I lived in San Diego. So seeing the homeless crisis is something that I'm very used to. I've been to Portland. I've been to San Francisco. I've been to Seattle. I know what it looks like, especially in the western half of this country and the homeless crisis that y'all are facing. And I also spend a lot of time in New York City. I think that the population in California, the Pacific Northwest, the homeless population there is much different than the homeless population that you would see in a a New York City or a Chicago. To me, it feels like the homeless population on the West Coast, they feel much more aggressive or entitled, if you will. I mean, they, they seem almost like they have a right to be on oceanfront property. They have a right to defecate on people's front doorsteps. And it's almost like they're trying to provoke residents to call the cops and see what happens, and they know nothing will. So I know that homelessness doesn't have a simple solution. We could talk about this for five days, and we could never come up with something that would solve everything. But being that you live there and you see this firsthand, probably on a daily basis, what do you think would be a step in the right direction for the West Coast to start solving what I call their homelessness culture? Well, their homelessness industrial complex is really a big part of it, too, is the hundreds of millions of dollars that are poured into these entities by the government to try to fix something that they don't want fixed because then it costs these (laughs) private entities hundreds of millions of dollars that they get from taxpayers. And so, you know, I've lived here for 13 years. I've seen the homeless crisis get worse and worse, yet we spend more and more money to deal with it. So what we're doing doesn't work. It just goes to enrich individuals who claim they care about the homeless. And so I think dismantling the homeless industrial complex is step number one. I mean, one of the most effective entities in Seattle for actually helping people is a privately run, citizen-led, nonprofit organization called We Heart Seattle that literally puts their gloves on, boots on, clears up these homeless encampments, whether the city gives them permission or not, and then actively tries to get people help uh, without the red tape and the bureaucracy of government. And they do much more with a dollar than the government ever will. So that's a big part of it. Second, we have to enforce the laws on the books. We have to. Nobody wants to go back to the war on drugs. That's just a misnomer. But we have to have a war on addiction. And part of pulling people out of the suffering and squalor that they're in is, yes, sometimes a stay in jail so they can be clear of mind and then get back on the right tracks. We have to enforce the laws that we have on the books and we have to fix our broken mental health system. Washington State, you know, for all the uh, talk of how Democrats uh, have care and concern for the homeless and people who are struggling, we have one of the worst mental health systems in the entire country under our governor, Washington, under our uh, governor, Jay Inslee. Uh, We lost our federal accreditation for our state's largest psychiatric hospital. So we have a twofold crisis. We have a drug crisis. We have a mental health crisis. And they're both getting worse. Well, I think you're right about that. And I think the people that are getting these contracts from the government to build the affordable housing, it's miraculous to me that this affordable housing seems to cost so much. It takes so much time. And then they end up putting a few dozen units up in a matter of five years. And they call that progress. Well, anybody who knows anything about what it takes to build something knows that that's 
baloney and that somebody is lining their pockets and probably the very same officials who are friends with the people that are getting these contracts, they're all in cahoots to make sure that nothing gets solved because as you mentioned before, then the money dries up. So it's better just to lament the crisis and then keep it going than to actually take steps to fix it. But uh, I wish you guys the best of luck in Seattle for the All-Star Game. And I wish the tourists the best of luck that they stay on their little walking paths lest they stumble upon a needle or human excrement. So good luck to y'all and have fun this All-Star Week. Thanks, Tommy. We appreciate it. (laughs) God bless you. And I hope to have you back soon for the post-All-Star Game roundup of what is actually going to happen when these sweeps are over. Coming up next, some pretty high-profile media outlets are taking swings at good old Joe Brandon, and you know what that means. Gavin Newsom, get your hair gel ready. My final thoughts are next. While some delusional Democrats continue to shill for old Joe, the powers that be, the real DNC henchmen, are closing in on him, and it's only a matter of time. And I have some final thoughts. You know, I hate to beat a dead horse, literally, but as I've told you, for months now, Joe Biden is not going to be the Democratic nominee in 2024. And here is just another indicator, another clue, that the day he decides to bow out is just around the corner. The establishment media is finally digging in, clocking the big guy from the left and making sure it hurts. This is significant. The mainstream media has been Joe and Co.'s biggest shield thus far, Without the full coverage and cushioning from the media, Joe will not be able to withstand, I mean, let's be honest, he can barely stand in the first place, the weight of his scandals, his son's deviant behavior, or his own age and mental shortcomings. This is a turning point, and it's happening just like clockwork. Now, there are still some delusional social media liberals who haven't gotten the memo yet, doing their damnedest to convince us our eyes are just lying to us. Like this Krasenstein fellow who wants us to believe these images of Joe at the beach are actually inspirational or some crap. Brian, with all due respect here, no one really cares that Joe looks like that on the beach. He's an older man. We get it. It's not his wrinkles or his slow walking that we care about. We care that the country is going to hell. We care that he can't remember where or who he is half the time. We care that he and his crackhead son likely sold out the nation to China and Ukraine to line their own pockets. It's not sand and surf Brandon. We're worried about Brian, I promise you. But, you know, Brian means well, I'm sure. Unlike this daisy of a woman from The View, Anna Navarro, she's become the hype woman for Joe. Last week, she tried to convince us Joe's shameless closeness to Hunter is just a father's love, which is a joke given Joe won't even acknowledge his own granddaughter, so cut the crap, Anna. But not only does she want us to believe Joe is father of the year, she, like Brian Krasenstein, wants us to believe Joe is the picture of physical and mental health. You know when you start dating someone and you show their Instagram profile to your friends, but only that one photo where they look good Yeah, that's what Anna did here. Now, you'll notice Anna was careful to post a photo, not a video side-by-side, because, well, she might then have to include this. Or this. Or my personal favorite, yes, this. 
But luckily for Anna and Brian, they won't have to keep up this charade much longer because Joe Biden is being buried by the very Democrat machine that ushered him on in. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it was one of his own that planted that cocaine in the White House last week. They want Joe gone and the writing is on the wall. Gavin is waiting in the wings and I'd imagine by the time you put out the Halloween decorations, you'll have a new Democrat ready to scare the hell out of us all. Boo. Those are my final thoughts. Be sure to like and subscribe us on YouTube at Outkick from Nashville. God bless. Take care.